Chapter twenty nine of Adeline Mowbray by Amelia Alderson Opie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Pam Moscato. Chapter twenty nine. Adeline, after several repeated trials, succeeded in writing the following letter to her mother. Dearest of mothers, when this letter reaches you, I shall be no more, and however I may hitherto have offended you, I shall then be able to offend you no longer, and that child, whom you bound yourself by oath never to see or forgive, but on the most cruel of conditions while living, dead you may perhaps deign to receive your pardon and your love. Nay, my heart tells me that you will do more, that you will transfer the love which you once felt for me to my poor helpless orphan, and in full confidence that you will be thus indulgent, I bequeath her to you with my dying breath. Oh, look on her, my mother, nor shrink from her with disgust, although you see in her my features, but rather rejoice in the resemblance and fancy that I am restored to you pure, happy, and beloved, as I once was. Yes, yes, it will be so. I have known a great deal of sorrow. Let me then indulge the little ray of pleasure that breaks in upon me when I think that you will not resist my dying prayer, but bestow on my child the long arrears of tenderness due to me. Yes, yes, you will receive, you will be kind to her, and by doing so you will make me ample amends for all the sorrow which your harshness caused me when we met last. That was a dreadful day, how you frowned on me. I did not think you could have frowned so dreadfully, but then I was uninjured by affliction, unaltered by illness. Were you to see me now, you would not have the heart to frown on me, and yet my letters, being repeatedly returned, and even the last unnoticed and unanswered, though it told you that even on your own conditions I could now claim your pardon, for that I had been wretched in love, and had experienced the anguish of being forsaken, despised, and disgraced in the eye of the world, proves but too surely that the bitterness of resentment is not yet past. But on my deathbed you promised to see and forgive me, and I am there, my mother. Yet will I not claim that promise, I will not weaken, by directing it towards myself, the burst of sorrow, of too late regret, of too self-upbraidings, and long-restrained affection, which must be directed towards my child, when I am not alive to profit from it. No, though I would give worlds to embrace you once more, for the sake of my child I resign the gratification. Oh, mother, you little think that I saw you, only a few days ago, from the stile by the cottage, which overlooks your house. You were walking with a lady, and my child was with me, my Editha, for I have called her after you. You seemed, methought, even cheerful, and I was so selfish that I felt shocked to think I was so entirely forgotten by you, for I was sure that if you were thought of me you could not be cheerful, but your companion left you, and then you looked so very sad that I was wretched from the idea that you were then thinking too much of me, and I wished you to resume your cheerfulness again. I was not cheerful, and Editha, by her artless prattle, wounded me to the very soul. She wished, she said, to live in that sweet house, and ask why she should not live there. I could have told her why, but dared not to do it. But I assured her, and do not for mercy's sake prove that assurance false, that she should live there one day. But when, when, she asked, when I am in my grave, replied I, and poor innocent, throwing herself into my arms with playful fondness, she begged me to go to my grave directly. 
i feel but too sensibly that her desire will soon be accomplished but must i die unblessed by you true i am watched by the kindest of human beings but then she is not my mother that mother who with the joys of my childhood and my home is so continually recurring to my memory oh i forget all your unkindness my mother and remember only your affection how i should like to feel your hand supporting my head and see you perform the little offices which sickness requires and must i never never see you more yes you will come i am sure you will but come come quickly or i shall die without your blessing i have had a fainting fit but i am recovered and can address you again oh teach my editha to be humble teach her to be slow to call the experience of ages contemptible prejudices teach her no opinions she can destroy her sympathies with general society and make her an alien to the hearts of those amongst whom she lives be above all things careful that she wanders not in the night of scepticism but for the support of religion what amidst my various sorrows what would have become of me there is something more that i would say should my existence be prolonged even but a few days i shall have to struggle with poverty as well as sickness and the anxious friend i will not call her servant who is now my all of earthly comfort will scarcely have money sufficient to pay me the last sad duties and i owe her my mother a world of obligation she will make my last moments easy and you must reward her from her you will receive this letter when i am no more and your care and protection i bequeath her she is my eyes grow dim and i must leave off for the present on the very evening in which adeline had written this address to her mother mrs mowbray had received mrs pemberton's letter and as miss woodville had been interred that morning she felt herself at liberty to join mrs pemberton in her search after adeline while various plans for this purpose presented themselves to her mind and each of them was dismissed in its turn as fruitless and impracticable full of these thoughts she pensively walked along the lawn before her door till sad and weary she leaned on a little gate at the bottom of it which as she did so swung slowly backwards and forwards responsive as it were to her feelings but as she continued to muse and to recall the varied sorrows of her past life the gate on which she was leaning began to vibrate more quickly till unable to bear the recollections which assailed her she was hastening with almost frantic speed towards the house when she saw a cottager approaching to whose sick daughter and helpless family she had long been a bountiful benefactress what is the matter john cried mrs mowbray hastening forward to meet him you seem agitated my poor daughter madam replied the man bursting into tears at the sight of his distress his parental distress mrs mowbray sighed deeply and asked if lucy was worse i doubt she is dying said the afflicted father god forbid exclaimed mrs mowbray throwing her shawl over her shoulders i will go and see her myself what really but the way is so long and the road so merry no matter i must do my duty god bless you and reward you cried the grateful father this is so like you lucy said you would come mrs mowbray then filled a basket with medicine and refreshments and set out on her charitable visit she found the poor girl in a very weak and alarming state but the sight of her benefactress and the tender manner in which she supported her languid head and administered wine and other cordials to her insensibly revived her and while writhing under the feelings of an unhappy parent herself 
mrs mowbray was soothed by the blessings of the parent whom she comforted at this moment they were alarmed by a shriek from a neighboring cottage and a woman who was attending on the sick girl ran out to inquire into the cause of it she returned saying that a poor sick young gentlewoman who lodged in the next house had fallen back in a fit and they thought she was dead a young gentlewoman exclaimed mrs mowbray at the next cottage rising up ay sure cried the woman she looks like a lady for certain and she has the finest child i ever saw perhaps she is not dead said mrs mowbray let us go see End of chapter twenty nine recording by pamascato